Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, Managing Editor of Television for Variety, and today my guest in New York is AMC Network CEO Josh Sapen. Josh is a cable industry veteran and one of its most respected thinkers. He has headed AMC Network since the company was spun off from Cablevision in 2011. In our conversation, Josh details AMC's efforts to diversify during the past few years with investments in international channels, in independent streaming platforms, and the build-out of the AMC Studios arm. He offers his thoughts on why AMC doesn't need to, quote, dominate the planet, as he puts it, to be successful. Josh Sapan, CEO of AMC Networks, thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, great. Thanks. Wonderful to be here. We're at a moment when people are re-examining, rethinking, re-evaluating. The headlines have been full of media M&A. You run the one of the you know one of the really prestigious collections of great cable channels: AMC, Sundance TV, WeTV, IFC, BBC America. A really nice collection of channels, small in the scheme of media that that has been making headlines for $70 billion deals to sure. bring companies together. How, as you look ahead for the next three to five years, where do you see AMC Network's competitive position? Where's your best shot to remain a vital and competitive brand? Sure. So uh, I, I think you've uh, aptly described uh, <clears throat> what could either be described as um, upheaval or a frenzy uh, in the media landscape uh, uh, perhaps being uh, the perception of it being uh, made to seem somewhat brighter because of M and A, uh, and although fundamentals are shifting, the M and A captures everyone's attention and uh, and and lends a level of drama to the actual patterns of consumption and economic vitality related to those patterns of consumption. So I think it can make the circumstance seem slightly exaggerated. So not to say that there aren't fundamentals and that M&A isn't undergone transition and therefore changing who's on first, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- So the way I would respond to that is that um, we think that people like very good content and that they follow very good content. And they follow it in changing patterns of consumption on different interfaces. But it is a fairly constant. Uh, it's fairly constant that people like what they like. If you ask anyone rhetorically, what are your favorite things, they can often answer it. It's a limited number. And they'll find their way to those favorite things. So our point of view and how we've been operating now since we separated from Cablevision spun off, which is now about eight years, has been to, as a core principle, focus on excellent content. And I'd like to think that we haven't been distracted by some of the very, very near-term rewards that are inherent in the media or television business that defy or contradict very, very, very good content. And it's put us in fairly stable stead, which I can describe in more pragmatic circumstances relating to our manner of distribution and our success in distribution and our consumer appeal. While we've been doing that, we have been, however, diversifying 
in a way that we think is meaningful in response to the fundamental changes, and I'll be specific. So Mm -hmm. your app description was we're a series of cable channels, uh, but today we are also an international company, and we use our own You have been investing there, yeah. Yeah, we spent a billion dollars to buy channels overseas, and that is connected to the fact that we're also a studio. And so we now have uh, getting close to half a billion dollars in revenue or a big chunk of our economics coming from the shows that we own the underlying rights to and can place on our owned channels and or sell to others. So I'd like to say that we were a cable, we were a cable channel company and today we are a content company that is, that is relatively smaller and more boutique. I would say that with, as a strength, with more agility and flexibility that has diversified its manner of economic exploitation to include what was the United States and is the globe, what was cable systems and is now in, uh, including the internet, and what was uh, an interface that had a channel lineup and now is an interface that is as frequently an app. Right. And in that world, the focus of somebody finding their favorite show or that hot new property that, they, that they've heard about through word of mouth, through recommendations, through their friends. Um, in, that, in that world, that focus on excellence becomes that much more important because presumably people are going to, ri- people are going to rise and seek out the, the premium, the exclusive, the distinctive. That's kind of been your... Your mantra? It has been our mantra. Here's an anecdote, and I hope it's not, it's not meant to be self-serving, but uh, our not biggest channel called BBC America, <clears throat> um, which is at Comic-Con today, parenthetically, with Jodie Whittaker being the first female doctor, which is fun, uh, and is also today at Comic-Con talking about uh, Killing Eve a little bit, which mm-hmm. is a show with Sandra O oh and Jodie Homer, written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, but that show premiered on what we would call today on a relative basis, a smaller platform, BBC America. And it actually either defied odds or even defied gravity in terms of attention. Now, limited number of episodes, but it was excellent television. And so I think it's the, the stat is that it has been roughly a decade or so since one TV show grew its linear ratings in every episode of its exhibition, which Killing Eve did. Now, admittedly, they're relatively small numbers compared to The Walking Dead. Right. But that was the trend. And uh, you're in the television writing business. Uh, Television critics gave it more recognition than they did any other TV show this year. So it's just an example of good or excellent finding its way because people are paying a lot of attention and actually the barriers that used to cause them to only go one way, for instance, the channel that they were on. And the night and the time. And the night and the time are gone. And and I also think that what replaced that paradigm which is became the almighty algorithm uh, is actually showing signs of somewhere, in fact. And I think that personal recommendation and curation as it relates to personal recommendation is, is becoming more important in the face of machines indicating what you might like. 
that sounds labor intensive. I would beg to differ. I actually think that um, <clears throat> that uh, I'll say it rhetorically. I wouldn't tell my friends to go watch something unless I really thought they would like it. Uh, I wouldn't. But a machine might tell you to watch something if its indications are that you might like it. Right. So I think that real people, real humans, uh, us, are relying increasingly more on personal reference and recommendations, and frankly, to a degree, A, of course, less than watching what's on at 9 because you were watching what was on at 8, but right. also a little less uh, by watching what an algorithm suggests you should watch. Or let me ask you the question. I don't mean to put you on the spot, and I'm supposed to be being interviewed, but I think you might answer that you pay a little bit more attention to what people who you respect and like and think have good screen criteria sure. are more than what pops up sure. through some, uh, and I don't mean to uh, make it sound poor, but through uh, essentially a formula. It's absolutely true. And I would just like to say that I distinctly remember speaking to you a couple of years ago and you said, I've just seen this great play at the public. It's called Hamilton. It's crazy. It's so good. So, so your, your, um, your recommendations rate high with me, <laughs> but to your point. Yeah, it's, so that's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, uh, <laughs> just when you thought it was safe to premiere a show and deliver an audience because it was preceded by a big show, came the emergence of something that made everything on demand easily accessible, which put pressure on that old system. It didn't go away. And now, just when you thought you could safely rely on a ubiquitous recommendation algorithm through a good uh, development of that sort of machinery, I think comes the beginning, I would say, of what might be exhaustion with it. And it's enhanced, that exhaustion, by degrees, if you will, I wouldn't call it of suspicion, but by degrees of evidence in social media that what you're getting is not what you should be getting. And you see that, obviously, Facebook had labored and continues to labor under some of the issues related to that, and you see in other platforms them beginning to try to adjudicate what policing they need to do. And I actually just think it's the be not, it may be the beginning of some questioning and greater personal authority in the manner in which you make your choices. And curation right now in this world, a wash in content, curation, good curation is more valuable than ever. And that's kind of what you offer people through, through AMC, through Sundance as a brand? I think, I think the answer is yes, and I wouldn't limit it to us. I mean, there are other brands that are very trusted for what they do. And, you know, everyone has their favorites. I won't name mine. <laughs> but everyone, if you said uh, what channel or what, frankly, magazine uh, would you go to just because it's in there? Everyone would come up with their answer. And I do think that we've taken pains 
to establish that if you see something on AMC, it's going to be like this. And it may be as different from Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, and currently Lodge 49 with Wyatt Russell or Dietland with Juliana Margulies um, or The Terror with Jared Harris. Uh, but I think you're going to see a very well-constructed drama no, mat- no matter what the circumstances. And I think on BBC America, whether you're seeing Blue Planet 2 or Planet Earth, which are obviously nonfiction, or you're seeing Killing Eve, you're seeing something that stands up. And I think on IFC, if you're seeing Portlandia or documentary now, you're seeing something that is idiosyncratic, comedic, and reliable in what it delivers you, and there's extraordinary benefit. A, of course, in the content standing for itself, but also in the frame of reference meeting expectations. Right, and and that, I'm sure that puts a that puts a bar on your programmers because that puts a high bar for your programmers in terms of meeting those expectations set very high by you know little shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad and Rectify on Sundance TV. Do you worry about the future of the linear TV business, the the future of the you know getting people to the set at Thursday at nine or Sunday at eight? Uh, yeah, I think the answer is yes. Uh, I wouldn't say I worry about the future of it. I say that it's undergoing transition. And um, I think that um, it, it's a curious question and a, a rich question and to me a fascinating question. And an imperfect analog um, is terrestrial radio, which competed, of course, with satellite radio which offered diversity and essentially a cable paradigm like alternative first in the automobile, um, where you could have incredible diversity on a vertical basis. So you could listen to a political channel. And uh, that was, I would say, it wasn't supplanted, but it was hugely influenced by um, streaming services. Uh, So take Pandora, bad analogy, but Pandora offered you something that was customized for you, and then Spotify offered something different, and Apple Music offered something different, and Amazon offered something different related to price and curation. Terrestrial radio is hardly dead. Terrestrial radio is a different animal. And by the way, podcasts, uh, of course, offered talk radio, if you want to call it that, in a completely different incarnation. So, So I hope I'm not going on too much length about it, but it's a fascinating subject. So our engagement with linear television in the U.S. is mindful of the fact that it's taking on different proportion and a different nature, but we do think that it has important, an important place in the world, uh, just a very different place in the world, and it will have different characteristics. And you've really prospered, uh, you know, I know from covering your earnings, I mean, you've really prospered, prospered through content licensing, in the last couple of years, you've seen really meaningful revenue coming through. Obviously, that's a dis- that's a calculation as to how much of your content that you exhibit first on linear yes. platforms. How much do you how much do you license out into other buyers that want the your high quality content to bring subscribers to, and eyeballs to their platforms? How do you, I know over the years you've had you've gone back and forth a little bit, but in general, you have made you have embraced the SVOD world and yes. made shows available on a season delay basis. Is that, are those 
calculations becoming more tricky now that you are sort of seemingly kind of tiptoeing into your own streaming sure. platforms? So, you know, I think you, you characterized it rather perfectly. I think that um, we set ourselves up to evaluate it on an ongoing basis, not surprisingly. We made a calculation and arrived at sort of a protocol, if you want to call it that, for how to approach that, which was just what you said, which is to take advantage of uh, the economic reward that allowed us to pour more money into production by doing licensing to third parties, which continues. Uh, we now have a few, several streaming services, which have grown in terms of our in, ac- own, the ones that we do at our own hand and ones we've invested in, uh, external to those. And so we now have scale enough for the economic consideration of whether the shows we make should go to those streaming services. And so it's become a more practical consideration economically and so-called strategically to place some of that content perhaps on those streaming services. So I would call it a work in progress. Um, I think others who have a different media mix and different proportion and perhaps different ambitions in terms of size are reacting to it somewhat differently. We were earlier to the activity, it's been now five years, Mm -hmm. of subscription video-on-demand services with owned content, so we were there before some others were. And But that's appropriate for the scale of our business, for our size. We actually right. don't need to dominate the planet in order to be extraordinarily successful. And so we've also put that into our calculus. But the answer is yes, we actually give different consideration to where material that we make may go in the future. Mm-hmm. And you you reference your investment. You've been, you bought or you bought a big chunk of Robert Johnson's yes. company that has a, the the Acorn streaming platform yes. known as a home for British drama. You own BBC America. The math there seems to make a lot of sense. Can you talk about what motivated your sure. investment in Robert Johnson's company? Sure. So so yeah, we we operate uh, two services ourselves that are um, of one could call them niche or decidedly focused editorial area. One is Sundance Now, which focuses on Sundance-like material. It barely needs more explanation. The other is called Shudder, which focuses on what's broadly called genre material. And both have been growing very well. Uh, we then made an investment in the company is Bob Johnson's company. It bears the name RLJE. It's publicly traded. It has two streaming services. One is called Acorn, focused on British mysteries, and it also owns the underlying assets of Agatha Christie and something called UMC or Urban Movie Channel targeted for urban audiences. And they have been growing extremely handsomely. And so we had, the deal was warrants initially, it's all public. And um, we've purchased more of the company and we now have a offer to, uh, to take the company private. Um, so that's actively being considered because right. we like being in the streaming business. And then we set up AMC Premier which was the first of its kind uh, so-called inside baseball world in ecosystem with Comcast Xfinity uh, subscription video on demand service that just launched on YouTube TV last week. So in all, we have six. And Uh, that service, just to clarify, offers viewers basically the linear streams and on-demand streams of your five channels, but without commercials? Is it's that correct? actually of AMC. Of AMC. And then, and, uh, so it's AMC, and then selectively we have offered, because it's 
sympathetic with our MVPD partners, we have uh, put some series on that are bingeable at time of premiere. So, and that's a calculation that we're making mm-hmm. about where we and our MVPD partners can experience, experience the greatest value development. So, and we'll do things differently as we go forward. Uh, and I think we'll see wider distribution for that service. But it's nice to say that, and I should have perhaps mentioned it earlier, all of those subscription video on demand services are experiencing a good pace of growth. And we're pretty economically minded about the manner in which we invest in them. So it's not only linear channels that were our beginning and international exposure and studio and owned, it's now subscription video on demand that we have equity in. Mm-hmm. So we like the composition of our company. Is the plan with the Robert Johnson company, yeah. is the plan to keep Urban Movie Channel and Acorn to keep those as those distinct brands or might you might you rebrand them into a more sort of general entertainment service at some point? The plan is to keep them as distinct brands. We think that that company and the people who operate it have done a magnificent job uh, developing those uh, as being a the top choice of people who like that material. And it's evidenced in the numbers and in the pace of growth. By the way, I should mention, not parenthetically, that we're also partners with our friends at the BBC in another streaming service called BritBox, if I didn't mention oh, it. Right, right. And so that's a separate flavor of British content mm-hmm. now streaming commercial-free on the Internet, and ITV is a partner in that. So when I mentioned six, I was, uh, probably didn't count the sixth, but that's what makes it six. Mm-hmm. And so we like and enjoy. The answer is yes. We think they're doing a wonderful job. We think Acorn is perfectly articulated and very well developed and we think Urban Movie Channel is in a wonderful position to be the authoritative brand both for creative people in that community and for consumers in that community and there has yet to be a declaration and an implementation of real creative ambition by and for that community. So that's a wonderful ambition that we hold with, our, with Bob. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, um, what, what has the uptake been on the AMC premiere package? You know, it's still relatively early days, but we're very encouraged by what began just several months ago and is on the Comcast Xfinity platform alone and is experiencing a good number of subscribers um, and was followed rapidly by FX uh, doing... Mm-hmm the same plot, if you will, on the Comcast Xfinity platform. Has it? I mean, Comcast has demonstrated its willingness to experiment. Has it been a tougher conversation with other MVPDs to get them to offer? You know, we we actually have been focused fairly, uh, somewhat singularly, I will say, with Comcast because we've been building it with them. Uh, If you will, it's sort of there in our baby. And, uh, And so we have focused our attention fairly specifically on and some of the nuances of where you come into the system, mm-hmm. how you find it, how you connect, how you're identified, how you pay, mm-hmm. have degrees of complexity. So we've been focused on making that a very good experience. So we've yet to really commence actively uh, seeking wide, wide distribution for Shop, it outside of that. with others, yeah. Is it, um, it costs about six bucks a month, is that Round right? numbers, about yeah. six bucks. And is the split... 
that you do with Comcast with your dis- distribution partner is it commensurate to like a pay TV like what like an, an HBO or a Showtime? You know, we have our own very happy arrangement with Comcast, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. The sensitivities on splits, uh, as with many things in commerce between business partners, get. Uh, 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 are, are subject to great care of expression. The content business, and especially, you know, the the very distinctive and innovative fare that has made, you know, that put AMC on the map, um, that stuff doesn't, it never has come cheap, but boy, the, the arms race that people are talking about in content right now is so much, is fueling a lot of the M&A. People are trying to, you know, ensure that they have big, heavy pipelines of, Creative people writing nine-figure checks to lock up produ- to lock up producers. Can AMC play in those waters? Yeah, you know, uh, um, the answer is a definitive. I believe yes. And if I may, I, I think that um, it is it is true that that arms race, so-called, that you mentioned, is occurring. And I think that there's a uh, sort of panic in the streets about that. Um, we have been running, I will say bluntly, a very different playbook. And so we are not seeking to produce 180 series in a year. And we look carefully when we do the terror, for example. An upcoming AMC show. No, AMC era. An AMC show, yeah. AMC was a limited series called The Terror. It's an anthology series. And we'll reincarnate it. This, I don't know if you saw the last one. It was about a ship sailing through the Northwest Passage. It was pretty good. It did great ratings. It was well-reviewed. Um, there'll be a terror, too, if you will. It's a, the anthology Anthology. Thank, yeah. you. Thank you for that word. And so we, so we didn't rush out and deliver a nine-figure check to someone for that or for Dietland or for Killing Eve or for Lodge 49, who Paul Giamatti and Dan Carey did for us, or for Fear the Walking Dead, or for any show that we have on the air. We actually operated within, I think, very reasonable and highly disciplined economic parameters, I'd like to think, with true, true, true respect for the creative people involved and the desire for them to bring to life the stories they wanted to tell uh, as well as they possibly could. And I hope Marty Knoxon would say that we helped her realize Dietland. And I hope that Hank Azaria would say that we brought Rockmeyer to life on IFC, a character he's been doing since he's 15, uh, to life when no one else would. And it's not because... Uh, we we paid a big check to someone. It's because we believed in Funny or Die, which we own a piece of, and we believed in uh, the character, and we believed in Hank, and we brought it to life. So we didn't buy our way into creative excellence. We actually sought creative excellence, and we sought stories that were as yet untold and unmade. And I actually think that uh, if you go back and run an inventory of everything that should have been wonderfully successful on television because its pedigree was should have led to great success. I think what you'll find is a pretty modest batting average. Yes, there are, you'll find Dick Wolf. Yes, you'll find somebody else. And you'll also find, I don't want to name the names, 
uh, a list of roadkill that right. would cause you to think not once, twice, or but perhaps never to ever do that. Right, right. There's a lot of you know high-priced recruits that that don't always that don't always pay off. Yeah, yeah. and but there's nothing wrong with it. I don't defame mm-hmm. anyone from pursuing that if they want to. I just don't think it's a necessity if you're quite serious about making wonderful creative material. The business of creativity is so you can't you can't plan for it. You can't you can't forecast it. You just can't you know, you just don't know what great idea is going to walk in the door. And I would imagine is some of that would you say Mad Men is kind of still a north star for AMC in terms of what's possible? Oh, yeah, I think I think look, I think it's you know, they're a bunch of sort of north stars and you may find my list uh, both ambitious and not in a certain sense but so I think Mad Men was a great experience in that because it was unlikely and it was quiet and it was uh, left a big mark and I think uh, Matt uh, Weiner is a genius and I think that Vince Gilligan wrote a story that nobody wanted to do and we did and Better Call Saul yeah Yeah, and, 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 and Better Call Saul lives on and I think is not a prequel that takes its invitation to just slop the characters up there. I think it's breathtakingly different and ever more unlikely almost than Breaking Bad. And so when when um, Jim Gavin, who wrote a series of short stories about sort of a, a, a slacker in Southern California and teamed up with the producing team of Paul Giamatti, who we know as an actor, and Dan Carey, we thought the stories were wonderful, and we thought Jim Gavin's take on the world was very fresh. And by the way, it is high risk because it's a TV show that doesn't have the standard punches. And so, it, but we're in love with doing it. This is Lodge 49. I'm so, so sorry. Yeah. Forgive me. I'm, as, I'm acting as if you and anyone who's listening knows everything I'm talking about. Exactly. So thank you for anchoring me to the world, Lodge 49. This is Lodge 49. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much, Cynthia. And so, but I think that those, and I think that those things, I actually think people get it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think people who watch television and when they watch a channel are, I like to think if you give them an enormous amount of respect, they will understand if everything is not a hit, but they will give you great credit and reward, and some things will be big and little hits for being true to respect for them and respect for story and respect for the craft. So I think, I think it's not only sort of purposeful and principled, I think it's smart business. It's, it's a goodwill that, that you build up with that audience that you can then, you know. I think it's true. I think mm-hmm. it's it just, what it, it is what, uh, it is the 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 people who inter the world construction that used to intermediate brands, I believe, in in a standard marketing sense, meaning what's our talking points, what's our position on this, how are we going to bring this to market that disrespected people and believe that you could control the outlet and the assessment, I think, is of a different time. I think it's anachronistic. Do you know what I mean? Right. The Meaning, 830 show. Yeah, but also the fact that you could sort of 
quote, position something and get people to believe a product's not good, or good, when in fact it's not good. At a time when the business is changing mm. so much, what, where do you see AMC going in the next three to five years? Would you say continued, obviously, content, international? Is there, sure. what would you say is your plan? Yeah, so I can tell you our plan is to, um, the plan is, uh, to walk and chew gum, and <laughs> by which I mean <laughs> that we will need to continue to make great content that people like, uh, and that is fundamental. But we will need to be ever mindful of the different manners with which people are engaging in screens and interacting with the world of content. So, as I mentioned, we moved from a cable channel paradigm to a U.S. international to added studio to international and added commercial-free streaming to studio to international, and we just launched a game last week related to the world of The Walking Dead right. that had instant success. And, so, and we have these niche subscription services, and the Shutter service just lost, by the way, uh, uh, four days ago, a podcast, actually, mm -hmm. and a merchandise store. Right. So, so we will have to undergo an evolution. But I think like the best brands that began in a medium that had uh, commonly referred to as digital incursion or competition that can be very challenging, I think the ability, one needs to adapt. You have to be adept at it and embrace it but you also have to have the good stuff that allows you to embrace and adapt it and have people follow you. That's the plan. If that wasn't too conceptual. No, but and that's that's a those are lofty goals and hard to achieve. But uh, you know you've had a pretty good track record so far. My last question for you is: um, you do have uh, AMC Networks does have a controlling shareholder yeah. in the Dolan family. What do you think? And I, I'm sorry to ask to make oh, you sure. talk for your that's boss, fine. but. Sure. How do you think that they're feeling about the landscape right now? Do they like what they, they, they like the hand they have? Do you think they would be amenable if somebody were to call up with you know, a I, big I, offer for AMC yeah, Networks? You know, I can't speak to them. We, we take very seriously the idea that our job is to provide return to shareholders. We do. We, we, the shareholders own the company. Um, so that is a serious uh, consideration of ours and not – in any way offhanded. I believe that. They own the company, and we have to reward them. Uh, so I can't, speak for, uh, I can't speak for the Dolans. We are, um, with every fiber of our body and effort, uh, attempting to execute the plan that we formulated and adapt as we go forward. And, um, and we do see a pretty interesting and rich horizon uh, if we can be successful in executing it. So there's an awful lot of work to do to execute that. I can't really give you a good answer to mm -hmm. the larger considerations, which, is, which would be their consideration. Right. It's all about the shows. It's all about the shows. Yeah. Josh Sapan, thank you so much for your time. It's always, it's always really intellectually stimulating to talk to you, and well, I mean that. Well, I thank you, and thank you for providing the proper name references so it, someone has some chance of understanding what I was talking about. No problem. We'll send them to the Internet. We'll send them to Google. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Okay, good. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Strictly Business. Strictly Business.